come together from him. Christ is present here. Uh, He's present in this place. He's present to meet us uh, in this place, to teach us his word, uh, to give us uh, the hope and the assurance uh, that we need as we walk through uh, the difficulties of this life. Do you pray with me today? Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here into this place. Thank you that your uh, word is, is read, that your word is sung, that the good news of the gospel is declared, uh, that you meet us here so that we can learn what it means uh, to be your disciple and so that we can be then uh, also encouraged by the good news of all that you've accomplished for us upon the cross. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open our ears, not only our ears, but our hearts to receive from you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, that we once again uh, would come to that place where we confess to you uh, that we are in need of your grace and your mercy, Uh, that we would confess before you that uh, there is no way that we can be ready uh, for anything in this life apart from you and apart from your Holy Spirit. So I ask in Jesus' name that you would do the work that you promised to do through your word. And I pray that many people here today would be encouraged and lifted up as a result of this time that we have here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess that Jesus is coming again. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We believe that Jesus came already. He came as our Redeemer. He came as our Savior. He came to deliver us from sin. He came to go to the cross and to shed his blood so that through the shedding of his blood, we know that we have the forgiveness of sins. He came the first time as Savior. We confess that Jesus is coming again, and when he comes again, he will come as judge. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Matthew chapter 24 and 25. In Matthew chapter 24 and in 25, Jesus is preaching a sermon. Really, within the Gospel of Matthew, we have recorded five of Jesus' sermons. This is the last sermon that he gives in the Gospel of Matthew. And he is preaching a sermon about the reality of his coming and of the reality of Judgment Day. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus teaches and he preaches simply on the reality that he is coming again. But then in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching us how to be ready for his coming. Are you ready for that day when Jesus is coming again? Because he is coming again. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And and no one knows the day or the hour. Some foolish preachers have tried to say, well, he's coming on this day or he's coming on that day. None of them have been right. Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. Only the Father knows the day of his return. When Jesus returns, it will be sudden. And unexpected. The day of Jesus' return will come like a thief in the night. No one expects the time when the thief will arrive to commit his crime. 
And no one knows the day when Jesus or the hour, the time that Jesus comes. But the question today is this, are you prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Are you prepared for that day when Jesus will come to judge, to judge the living and the dead? Are you prepared? Are you ready for that day? Jesus said that he's coming again. Then I asked the question, but why hasn't he come already? What's taking Jesus so long? 2,000 years ago, he said he is coming. But he hasn't returned yet. What's taking him so long? What's taking him so long? And I believe the Apostle Peter gives us the answer in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to see if you can pick out the key here to why Jesus hasn't come yet. But here Peter, as Jesus did, is simply explaining the reality of his second coming. So the Apostle Peter says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is his coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So he's speaking of Noah, the flood of Noah's time and of Noah's ark. But verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. And so that's the reality of his second return. That will be fireball city when he comes again. By that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And he says, the Lord is really not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he is, good news, he is patient with you. And aren't you happy that God is patient with you today? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Here ends the reading. Back to the Gospel of Matthew. But before we do that, why is Jesus not here yet? What is, what is his plan? What, it is, what is his purpose? Why is he delayed in coming? Well, he is patient. His patience is delaying him. He doesn't want anybody to, be, to perish. So his, his love for humanity is what's causing him to delay. And he wants everyone to come to repentance. 
So, so he's delaying his coming to give us time to be ready. To be ready for his return. To give not only us and the body of Christ, but this world time to be ready for his return. Because he loves humanity. He loves you. So back to the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 24, Jesus presents the facts of his soon return. In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches us how to be prepared for his soon return. So we go to Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. And here Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins, of the ten virgins. And the parable of the ten virgins teaches us to be ready for his return. So Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. Would you please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson? Matthew 25, beginning with the first verse. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five wise. The foolish one took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time and coming, a long time and coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Verse 13, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You may be seated. And this is the gospel of our Lord. So the question today is, are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for that day when he is coming again to judge the living and the dead? Did you know that judgment day will be a horrific day for the unrepentant and for the ungodly? In Matthew 25, 41, we hear from the lips of Jesus what will be said to those who do not repent. So all of Matthew 25 is about us being ready for the return of Jesus. And the verses that we read today, the first 13 verses, are only a portion of what we need to study and read and be aware of to be ready for the return of Jesus. But in Matthew 25, 41, um, Jesus said this, On Judgment Day, uh, when he comes to judge creation, he will say to the unrepentant, Depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we know that the day of judgment is going to be a horrific day for those who have not repented, for those who have not trusted in Jesus as their Savior. And this is something that ought to break our hearts and it ought to motivate us uh, to a greater commitment to sharing the gospel. So that it will be a horrific day for the unrepentant and ungodly. Let's see what Jesus says about being ready. First, we need to identify the various 
characters in the parable. First of all, we have the bridegroom. The bridegroom in the parable represents Jesus. Jesus. He is the one who is to come. He's delaying. They're wondering, why is he so long in coming? But he is the one who is to come. So Jesus is the bridegroom. The time of his return is not announced. He just shows up. He just arrives. In the same way the bridegroom came unannounced, so Jesus will come unannounced. Uh, The ten virgins are, are believers. They are the church universal. They are Christians. Um... And that is all believers who will be on this planet on the time of Jesus' return. Of the ten virgins, five are wise and five are foolish. The five wise virgins, they are ready. They are prepared for Jesus' return. And the five foolish virgins, they are not ready. Jeffrey Gibbs, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, wrote this. The glorious return will happen suddenly. It will happen suddenly. You cannot get ready on the day that he returns. When he comes, you cannot get ready. You just need to be ready. You just need to be ready. It's the same way with a police officer or a firefighter. When a police officer is called upon... She doesn't have time to get ready. She needs to be ready. The firefighter, he doesn't have time to get ready. He needs to be ready. That's the same way with us. We, on the day of his return, when when the trumpet sounds, we simply need to be ready. For his return. And so to be ready according to the parable is to have oil for your lamps. Do you have oil for your lamps? Bible scholars have offered many different interpretations for the oil. What does the oil in the parable represent? What does the oil in the parable represent? This is key. Jeffrey Gibbs suggests the following. The oil in the parable represents whatever it takes for you to be ready to honor the bridegroom when he comes again in glory. The oil represents whatever it takes for you to be ready to give honor to the bridegroom When he comes again in glory. So I ask you the question today. Does your life bring honor to Jesus? Does your life bring honor to Jesus? We are called to honor our bridegroom. We are called to honor Jesus. Does your life honor him today? And did you know that this is what we're praying for when we pray the Lord's Prayer? In the Lord's Prayer, we pray the petition, Hallowed be thy name. 
When, when we pray this prayer, we're, we're acknowledging, first of all, that, that God is holy, that his name is hallowed, even without our prayer. It's in his nature to be holy, to be pure, to be good. But when we pray, hallowed be thy, thy name, we're praying that, that we would honor his name, that his name would be hallowed or made holy among us. That we would live godly lives that bring honor and glory to Him. And the way that we live holy lives is by hearing His Word and living in accordance with it. So when we pray, Hallowed be thy name, we're saying, Lord, you are holy, you are the Almighty. Yet you are loving. And Lord Jesus, I pray that I would also live in a way that would honor your holy name. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, may your word be rightly taught. And may we live our lives in accordance with your word. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, viewed the petition, Hallowed be thy name, as the key to the entire Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther called this petition the Unlimited One. He said that Martin Luther called this petition the Unlimited One, the foremost, encompassing all other petitions. He wrote, quoting, If anyone were able to hallow God's name perfectly, he would no longer need the Lord's Prayer. Who here can hallow God's name's name perfectly? Who here perfectly honors God's name in everything that you, in everything that you say, and in everything that you do, and in the way that you think? Who here honors God's name perfectly? You see, to be ready to have that oil in your lamp is to do whatever it takes to give glory, to give honor, to the bridegroom, to Jesus. I can't tell you the, uh, the specifics of what is personally keeping you from honoring Jesus. You as a believer, you, you probably already know, you probably have an idea in, in your mind of what is preventing you from honoring Jesus today. Um, if, if you don't know what is preventing you from honoring Jesus today, I suggest that you maybe open the Word of God. And, and from the Word of God to, uh, to read something, maybe like the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the Sermon on the Mount will reveal to you areas in your life for which you need to make a change. And to honor Him. With your life. So I can't tell you the specific of what is personally keeping you from honoring Jesus, but I do want to give you some broad essentials that all believers constantly need as oil in their lamps. What we all need. Number one is repentance. Repentance. The Bible and your conscience will reveal what you need to repent of. Uh, that little voice inside of your head 
will reveal what you need to repent of. So the Bible reveals those things, but also conscience reveals those things. What does it mean to repent? In the Hebrew, repent literally means to return. To return. To return to where? To return to the Lord. And to return to His ways. In Greek, repent literally means to change one's mind and to turn. To change your mind about what? To change your mind about the Lord and His Word and what He has said. Change your mind and agree with God that you are lost without Jesus. Then to turn to Him with humility. To say, Lord, I have sinned. And I need your grace and your mercy today. What does uh, repentance look like? Well, one of my favorite parables is that of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I read this last week. And I don't think we can look at this parable too many times or too often. The parable, in a powerful way, illustrates false and true repentance. It really illustrates for us what does it mean to be ready for the return of Jesus. So in Luke uh, chapter, I didn't write down the chapter. I believe it's Luke chapter 18, beginning with the ninth verse. Then he, that is Jesus, told this story to some who boasted of their virtue and scorned everyone else. He said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a proud, self-righteous Pharisee. And the other, a cheating tax collector. The proud Pharisee prayed this. Thank, thank God I'm not like a sinner like everyone else, especially like this tax collector over there. For I never cheat. I don't commit adultery. I go without food twice a week and I give to God a tenth of everything I earn. False repentance is this self-righteousness. Saying, I'm, I'm better than everybody else. At least I'm not like those other people. Especially like that man over there. A tax collector. But verse 13 says, but the corrupt tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. But beat upon his chest in sorrow exclaiming, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Church, that is repentance. To come before the Lord with humility. And Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home forgiven. For the proud shall be humbled and the humble shall be honored. To repent is to simply be real with God. To be honest with God. And to say, Lord, this is who I am. I need your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. That's what it means to repent. Not to make excuses. But to simply just be real. And honest. And vulnerable. Before God. So if you come to that place in your life. Where you brought who you are before God in honesty and humility. My prayer is, is that you would, you would be brought before the Lord. 
and this honesty and this humility to admit who you are. So the oil in the lamp has to do with repentance. Are you walking in repentance? If you're walking in repentance, you have oil in your lamp. And you are ready for the day of Jesus' return. Faith, faith and repentance go together. You can't have one without the other. A person with faith is going to walk in repentance. But not only will they walk in repentance, they'll walk in the liberty that's theirs in the gospel. Knowing that, that they are forgiven and set free from condemnation and guilt. So faith is that which clings to God's promise of forgiveness. When you have faith, you're clinging to God's promise that you are forgiven. Faith is a gift that takes hold of the gospel promise of your salvation. Faith is that which rests and finds comfort in the good news that Jesus died to take away our sins. You may say, Pastor, there are many things in my life that do not bring honor to the Lord. Repent. And then trust and believe that you are forgiven. And find comfort in that good news today. If you haven't heard it lately, hear it today. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You see, faith clings to the cross as our only hope. It clings to what Jesus did upon Calvary's cross. Romans 3, 23 through 26. Here's the the truth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified. How? That is justified means made right with God. And all are made right with God freely. By his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? Faith. Faith. To cling to the reality of what Jesus did upon the cross. That he shed his blood. For you. Because he loves you. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just. He is a just God. Sin must be dealt with. Because he is a just God. And where did he deal with sin? The cross. Justice was served upon the cross. But you didn't hang upon the cross. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve is to be hung upon the cross. That's justice. But Jesus said, I'm going to take your place. And justice will be served by me taking your sins upon myself. Me suffering in your place. 
He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so to be just and the one who justifies, that is to make you right with God, to forgive you, to acquit you. There's an old saying I heard, I, th- I think, as a kid, to be, just remembered it now, it's not even in my sermon. To be justified is to be made just as if you have never sinned. To be justified is to be declared just as if you had never sinned. Isn't that freeing? And um, those who are justified are those who have faith, who cling and trust in Jesus. Paul tried to earn salvation by his own self-righteous behavior. Paul gives his testimony uh, throughout uh, the epistles, the, uh, the New Testament. You see, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee just like the one in Luke 18. Self-righteous. God, I thank you I'm not like these other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. And then he started to see these Christians. And he said, God, I thank you I'm not, I, that I'm not like these Christians. Paul despised Christians. Paul sought to destroy the church. He persecuted Christians. And Paul thought that he was right with God because he, was a, he thought he was a good person. I'm a Jew. And I follow the law meticulously. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless, he said. That is until God knocked him off his donkey. On the road to Damascus. Struck blind. Jesus revealed himself as Lord and King, Messiah, Savior. And he soon came to know that his only hope was to trust in Jesus as his Savior. And so Paul had faith. He was justified. He was made right with God by faith. So do you have this oil in your lamp? It's of repentance. That's just being real, open, honest. You don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not before God. You can just say, God, this is who I am. And then to trust, to cling to Him. How is all of this delivered to us? Well, it's delivered to us, we believe, as Lutherans, uh, through the means of grace, through word and sacrament. We believe that, that, that there's no way that we would ever know this good news apart from the Word. So we are people of the Word. We don't just make stuff up. We go to the Word of God. And in the Word of God, we learn about who we are. And we learn who God is. And we learn what Jesus has done for us. But we believe that His Word is not just a, a, an intellectual, academic pursuit. But his word is actually living and active. That when we read his word, the Holy Spirit uses it to do a work within us. So the means of grace, primarily word and sacrament. So God delivers the gift of repentance and faith through his word. Apart from the word, you would never be convicted of your sin, your true condition as a sinner, in need of grace. Without the word of God, we would have no comfort or hope that comes through the grace of Jesus. So we need to be a people of the word. We need God's word to enter into our lives and to accomplish the purpose for which God sent it. 
The oil of the wise virgins, of of these wise virgins, is the means of grace. The means of grace. Are you ready? Are you a person of the word? The sacraments are simply a visible word. We don't believe that there's some hocus-pocus thing that goes on with uh, the bread and the wine. It's just simply a visible word. The sacraments are the means through which God delivers his invisible grace to sinners who desperately need to physically touch it, to taste it, to smell it, and to know that it's real. I need that. I need to take the bread. I need to know in a physical way that his body was broken for me. I need to take the cup. And I need to know that his blood was shed for me. So in the sacraments, his word becomes visible. His invisible grace becomes visible and tangible for us. So I ask you today, do you find yourself burdened by guilt? Are there shameful things that you have thought or said or done? What is preventing you from honoring the Lord? What do you need today? Do you need to go out and try harder? No, what you need today is grace. Because it's the grace of God and it's the love of God that will transform you. So I ask you, do you need to know that you are forgiven, that you are loved, and that you're made right with God? I need that today. There are many, many things in my life that do not bring honor and glory to God. Many things. But I know that the only hope that I have today is in Jesus. It's by his life, his death. And his resurrection, his declaration of grace to me and to you today. So would you pray with me today? Let's just spend some time before the Lord in silent reflection. Lord, you know who we are. You know everything. And you love us. You want to make us ready. We can't be ready in and of ourselves. The only way that we can be ready is to receive the the gifts that you've given to us. So we come before you honest, with all honesty and sincerity. And we say, Lord, we repent. We repent. And then we come before you as empty vessels and uh, we cling to you in faith. And we say, fill us. Fill me an empty vessel with your grace, your mercy, and your power. And continue to fill me as I'm a person of your word. And as I faithfully, with joy, receive your sacrifice. Lord, you are a God of grace and mercy. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You do not delight, you do not delight in the punishment of the ungodly, 
And thank you that we have this moment today to be ready. To be ready for your return. So I pray that all of us with humility where we're sitting right now. would simply receive. Maybe for the first time. But all of us are fresh and anew to receive the gift 